following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the preaching of the word? Father, we come into your presence and thank you that you have given us the word of God. We pray with the psalmist that you would open our eyes and help us to see wonderful things from that word. As we look at Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior this morning, I pray that you would remove the distractions from our heart. Lord, that we would have ears that hear and hearts that respond today. I pray, Lord, that you would be with Jordan as he opens uh, this passage to us today and that you would give him clarity and freedom and joy in expressing to us the eternal truth of this word. And may we be a people who are ready to hear and to receive what you have for us today. And so we thank you that you are uh, that God whose glory is above the heavens, as we read this morning. We thank you that you are the God who is mindful of us and has sent Christ to redeem and to save. And I pray that you would unite our hearts together around the truth of who you are for your people, because we want to live in the supremacy and the sufficiency of your presence in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to Colossians. Thank you, John. I'm so thankful for you. And your ministry here at Community Gospel, it is a blessing to have you and Christine here at uh, the church. I still think that John doesn't know what to do with me yet. I think sometimes I I, I throw him off. (laughs) But uh, it it is great that we have a fantastic team here at the church that is moving in the direction Uh, to honor the Lord with all we think, say, and do because of Christ. Uh, As you're turning in the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1 specifically, big numbers are the chapters, small numbers are the verses. We're looking at verse 15 today, we're going to go all the way to 23. And um, in the study of this, I was reminded a a while ago of a, a couple who came and was checking out Community Gospel Church, which is always interesting when that happens. But uh, we say dumb things sometimes, right? When we don't know what to say. And so I asked him, I said, did you like church? As if church is something to be liked. (laughs) I didn't say, hey, did you think God was honored and glorified with everything we think, said, and did? Um, I didn't want them to like run away super fast. Um, So I just said, what did you think of church? And um, 
the husband looked at me and he said, I, I like the songs and your atmosphere is good, but I'll never forget this. He says, you guys give Jesus such a high place of honor. You are all about this, this Jesus guy. And as we're looking at Colossians, and I'm sure you're scanning this passage of Scripture as I'm speaking here. Still good? All right. Being a believer, I don't know if I said something wrong and you muted me. Um, <laughs> I know how our relationship works, Candace. you know, like, that would have been bad. Uh, being a believer is, is all about Jesus. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. The key word there is Jesus. This is what Paul talks about. He says, without the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, Christianity is meaningless. Your faith is void. And in Colossians chapter 1, Christ, we see, comes, he reflects, and he reveals the image of the invisible God. He makes what is, is foreign to us focused. And not only that, he dies for us. He frees us from sin's penalty. He makes us holy. He gives us peace. And he gives us joy. Jesus has given us what no one else could through faith and trust in him. We have access to God the Father. We have life now and for eternal. And if you trusted Jesus for eternity, that's great. But if, if you're waiting for eternity to access what it means to be in Christ, you're missing out on the gospel. There's so many rich blessings and treasure that come for being in Christ. And so here, there's seven unique qualities or characteristics of Jesus that Paul outlines for us as a body, as he did for the Colossian church, the church that was gathered in Colossae. And basically what he says here is he says, this is how, you should have this is how Christ should have supremacy in your life. There's no other comparable list of the qualities of Jesus and his deity found in any other passage of Scripture. In other words, this is rich. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, what we realize is that the, the big idea for us here is that these seven unique characteristics of Christ that qualify Jesus to have full supremacy of everything we think, say, and do. This is what, what it's all about to be a believer. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, there's a little white book that's in front of you. By all means, pick that up and walk through the gospel as I'm talking here today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God with Timothy beside him, writes to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, which goes from Colossae to community gospel. A message full of grace and peace to you. Verse 15. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Stop. <laughs> that's, that's a huge sentence. Peter says some of Paul's words are hard to understand. Amen? And here is... The first two unique characteristics of Christ. Number one, in the first part of 15, underline that. He is the image of the invisible God. In the book of Hebrews, specifically Hebrews chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but I will. It says in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. 
Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature, and with that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is like a head that is imprinted on the, uh, a coin, just as uh, we see overseas, people looked to the queen as being kind of the head of the nation. Jesus is the head of all things. He is God. The image means three things. If you want to circle that word image, it's really interesting. It means likeness, which he is exactly like God. Two, it means representation, which means Christ represents God to us, shows us what God is like. And three, manifestation, which means Christ makes God known to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John chapter 1, he gives a fantastic description of who Jesus is. And if you look at verse 18, again, you don't have to go there. I'll go there for you. It says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, or he, God, has made him, Jesus, known to us. Well, God made man in his image. Christ is the exact image of God because he is God. And what's sad is we as believers say, so what? Well, as believers, we are progressively being transformed either into the likeness of Adam, who is sinful, or Jesus, who is perfect and complete. Your life is either being transformed by the renewal of what God is doing through Christ in you, who gives us his Holy Spirit, or you are continuing in your sin. When somebody becomes a new creation in Christ, a transformation starts to take place, which we call sanctification, being set apart or made holy. And Christ, giving us the Holy Spirit, changes us as believers into his image because he is the image of the invisible God. Paul writes similar things to the church of Corinth in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, we, as believers, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, Glory of the Lord, our being, this is present tense here, a continual process, transformed, present tense meaning salvation, sanctification, growth and holiness, being conformed to the image of Jesus, who, 2 Corinthians 3.18, is the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's beautiful news. Now look at the second part, because 15 only gives you the, the first part, which is, the, the first characteristic of Christ, and then it continues, because he is the image of the invisible God, he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, this is going to get tricky, all right? But hang on. Circle the word firstborn, which is in reference to rank, not birth order. Jesus is called firstborn, not first created. In both Greek and Jewish culture, firstborn was a son who had the right of the inheritance, not necessarily one who was born chronologically. There's a great example of this that links uh, Colossians chapter 115 to the Old Testament, which is Genesis chapter 25. And you know the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first chronologically, but Jacob was declared the firstborn regarding the blessing. Now, hang on, it's going to get even better. Because you look at that and you say, so What? Why does that matter? This phrase that Christ is the firstborn of all creation shows that Christ is sovereign over creation. We'll talk about that in just a second. And after the resurrection of Christ, God gave Christ full authority or rank over the earth. 
Again, we go to the gospel accounts, and if you look at the gospel of Matthew, which you don't have to turn to, I'll turn there, that's fine. I'm flipping through scripture today, I love this, this is why you should have an actual Bible, right? Because you can do this, this is super fun. Matthew chapter uh, 20, oh, where am I at? 28, love this, great commission, some of you have this memorized, good for you. It says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Me, not you. You are not the center of the universe. Bummer. Christ is. He's the firstborn of creation. He is sovereign over this world. The problems that you see on TV are going to be solved by Jesus. Because he has authority and rank. Psalm chapter 89, look at this, verse 27 says, I will make him, Christ, my firstborn. He will be higher than any of the kings on the earth. And the people rejoice because, well, we need a good politician in this world. And Jesus created and he saved and he rules the world. And so Paul's first point to the Colossian church is, Jesus is the self-existent acknowledged head of creation, and if you are a child of God through faith and trust in Christ, ready for this? You're in great hands. You are in good hands. Verse 16. For by him, now this is going to get really tricky, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Now all things, the things that you see with your eyes visible, the things that you can't see, which are invisible like the wind, thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities, All were created through him and for him. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All right, Paul, here we go. Christ is the one whom creation continues to exist. Two other New Testament verses match this description of Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2, says exact same words. Christ the Son is the one through whom the Father made the universe. So we have to look at this a little bit, okay? How does Christ, as the creator of the universe, even exist? That's crazy. But look at verse 16 and 17. Christ is the creator of all things. We go back to the book of John, which is a gospel by John. And in verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was in the beginning of God. How did Jesus become a man? He put on clothes. Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. He tabernacled with us. But He always has existed. In him was life, and life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and people who are in darkness cannot understand this. How can such a truth be true? Well, let's look at this a little deeper. Jesus is in the beginning, present in creation, existing eternally with God. And while Jesus has a distinct function from God the Father. He was with God and is the same as God in nature because he was God. And this, my friends, is a mystery. And if you can explain it, the Lord bless you. But there are some things about God that we just cannot understand with our finite minds. But we can get slivers of it. In Scripture, both God the Father and Jesus are called shepherd. They're both called judge. They're both called savior. Savior. 
They're both called the pierced one in Zechariah chapter 12. There's some sense in which everything the Father does, the Son and the Spirit also do, and vice versa, as they're always in perfect agreement at every moment. It is like a cord having three but yet one. Knowing Christ is God and that he has all the attributes of God helps us understand that he is the creator. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. You don't have to go there because it's on screen. He, Jesus, made the universe. And all things were made through him and without him. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, not anything was made. He is the agent of God's creation. God the Father and the Son had two distinct functions in creation, yet worked together to bring about the cosmos. And that makes my head hurt. Right? The Bible says it's true. I, I can kind of comprehend it, but in the same breath, I uh, can't even comprehend how Legos come together. But yet, they do. Why is it important? We ask, so what? If Christ is the creator of all things, who cares? Neat, wonderful, awesome. Christ is the creator of all things. Heaven and earth, visible, invisible, material, immaterial, means that his creation is not one of disorder, but he has a highly systematized dominion in which he reigns supreme. In other words, God's a little OCD. And he loves structure and order. And that gives me great assurance as a believer. Because 365 times, one for each day of the year, the Bible says, do not worry or be afraid because he that was before all things and in him all things hold together. So the great part of knowing that Jesus is the creator who tabernacled with us, put on earthly clothes, if you will, is to know life's purpose. That when your world seems to be falling apart, Jesus holds everything together. Isn't that amazing? That even when things seem like they're totally in disarray, surely God is holding everything together. It's like children, right? My world is falling apart, and the parents look at it, and they say, it's, it's not as bad as you think it is. Verse 18. And because of this, he is the head, thank God, of the body, which is the church. Pastor Jordan, I thought you were the head of the church. No, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Besides being Lord of the universe, look at this. Christ is two other things. He is 18, verse A. This is Ephesians 1, by the way, too, as well. The head of the church. Christ, as the creator, is also responsible for the origin of the church. So this cracks me up, because some people will look at it and they'll say, I don't like the church. It's full of hypocrites. I'm like, tell Jesus he's the head of it. And he's not hypocritical, but he loves them. Christ is responsible for the invisible church and the universal church, which all believers are baptized into by the Holy Spirit at salvation. It's a special body. It's a special fellowship. The church is twofold. It is local. We are the local church. And then it is also global. Those who have confessed and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord and have entered into this body, church, if you want to serve that, is, is the whole new creation and covenant of God. And it is a mystery that was not made known to men in other generations, but is made known to us now. And so oftentimes what we do is we take the church for granted, and we shouldn't. This is a work of the Spirit that started at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and we see it continue in Acts chapter 11. And really, we have to ask ourselves, why do we take the church for granted? When the church is the beautiful bride of Christ, 
I forgot my Bible this morning when I came to church. And I got here and we had our morning meeting and I realized that I had forgotten it. So I stole our car keys, borrowed them from Bethany. And I drove into Bremen. And I'm amazed at how many people are out in Bremen on a Sunday in shorts and t-shirt. It's raining. I, I don't know if they knew that or not. But they were out. And I thought to myself, you're missing the purpose of life. You're missing the head of the of life, the, the church. You should come to Community Gospel. That's where I'm going. Would you like to come with me? And as I stuck my head out the window and yelled that, people looked at me like I was <laughs> lost. <laughs> I almost thought, pulling over and looking at this one guy and saying, hey, do you know where Community Gospel Church is? Would you like to come with me? I didn't. Maybe I should have. Verse 18. He is the head of our church. He is the head of the church. And he is the firstborn from the dead which links together with the second attribute of God, which is that he is the firstborn of all creation. So if that didn't make sense, maybe this will. He is in rank, the firstborn, the first to rise in an immortal body, and the firstborn from the dead, which means Christ's resurrection marked his triumph over death. Because Christ died, he gave power to all who believe in him to rise again. And it may hurt for a moment, death may sting for a moment, but then boom, into the presence of Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Christ was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, and he continues to live on the basis of that power of an indestructible life. Do you realize that Jesus being alive and resurrected from the dead means that we have the only faith, not a religion, the only faith that has a living God? Everybody else's God is dead. And so we praise the Lord that in the firstborn of the dead, Christ solidifies his supremacy over all things. Christ, John 1, 14, became flesh, humbled himself, Philippians 2, exalted now by the God the Father to the highest place given above the name above every name. And the saddest part is we look at that and we go, so what? So what? That's everything. That Jesus is my all in all. He is my everything. He is my creator. He is my king. He is the one who conquered death and gives me the ability to be called his child. And look at what happens in verse 19. This is amazing. And forgive us, Lord, for being so flippant with this passage. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, pleased to tabernacle. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, He made peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 21. And you. I don't condone Xing out scripture. But if you want to, you could strike you out and put your name above it. And you, Jordan. You were once alienated and hostile in mind. You once did crazy evil things. It's like Paul knows my heart, right? Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, be steadfast, don't shift from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister of that. Look at the last two traits that Paul pulls Verse 19 is is number six. The fullness of God dwells in Christ. Which in 
Colossians chapter 2, if you look over 1, verse 9, he'll say it again, because sometimes we need it repeated for us. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. One of the most powerful descriptions of Christ's deity in the New Testament is here and in Hebrews chapter 3. Circle the word full, if you would, which means completeness, which is a wide range of things, including God's being and time and grace in Christ. But this full and complete deity is said to dwell or abide lastingly and permanent in Christ. Now, we're going to talk a little bit uh, in Colossians in the upcoming weeks about the people who pushed against Jesus being the Messiah. And one of those people that pushed against the Messiah was, in the, in the New Testament, these Gnostic heretics. We'll talk about that later. But essentially, they just said that Christ was like this halfway house to God. And they essentially said there's, there's other better links ahead. So you, they said, yes, Jesus is a good teacher, but go on from him and you will reach this fullness. But Paul says, no, we stop at Christ because he himself is the complete fullness of God And in him we find access to all things of godliness and holiness. Because verse 20 is true, which is the last one. He says, he reconciles all things. Through Christ, God reconciles, exchanges hostility for friendship to himself and all things. All things is limited to God's angels and redeemed people, things under the earth People are reconciled to God, to himself, not God reconciled to people. And Paul says there's total, complete, and full reconciliation. We were once enemies, but now we're friends of God through Christ. As he possesses all the fullness of deity, he makes peace by the blood of his cross. Look at verse 21 real quick. Let's hone in on this. Reconciliation is necessary because people are alienated or cut off or estranged from life and God. Before conversion, Colossian believers were enemies and hostile to God in their minds and in their behavior. Sin, Matthew chapter 5 tells us, begins in the heart and it manifests itself over to deeds. It doesn't take long for us to realize that we're sinners, right? Like, I mean, that's like two seconds for me. And so why is that important? Well, look at verse 22 and 23. The result of Christ's death is redemption to present you holy in God's sight. It is to correct your rank before God. You are, are, are needing a, a, a change of rank. Christ's death is the basis for judicial justification and sanctification and glorification. Justification from sins, sanctification becoming like Christ in life, glorification, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, realizing I get a new body when he returns, but it can only come through faith. Now notice this. Watch this. This is extremely encouraging in 22 and 23. The Colossians had a firm, settled, or grounded faith, and Paul was excited about it. And, and here's my question. I ask this like all week long. Do the people in the communities entrusted to your care know that you have a solid, grounded faith? We have to continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And for that, Paul became a minister. And we would ask, have you become a minister because of the gospel that you have received? 
Let me word it a little different. If Christ has conquered death and won your heart by his loving sacrifice, if he has given you strength every day, then is he alone everything to you? Meaning, do you give him glory in all you think, say, and do from Sunday to Sunday? I am concerned that we are compartmentalizing our faith and trust in Christ. We punch out at 1130 on Sunday morning and we punch back in at 10 a.m. I'm concerned. If we are aware of this, this, this Christ that we are in, and he has filled us fully, then the implementation has to motivate us as a church to be faithful ministers for the gospel, unapologetic of the gospel that we have received until Christ comes again and reconciles all things. Does Christ alone have the highest place in your heart and in your life, or are there other gods who have replaced him on the throne of your life? My, my prayer for you and for me as well is that our lives would not revolve, uh, 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 excuse me, that our lives would revolve around the worship and adoration of Christ our King and not Christ our King revolving around our daily lives and endeavors. Are you, are you tracking with me on this? Like here's, here's what we do. We say, Jesus, this is my life. You orbit around my life. And he says, that is not how this works. I consume every part of your life, and your life revolves around me. You pray to me because of what I've done. You read your Bible to me because I have won. And it's not like a father like who hammers down his fist at us. It is that we find ourselves as stewards faithful because we look inside our lives and we say, there was nothing good in me, but you have redeemed me by the blood of the lamb and I am changed. And Lord, yes, throw all the things of my life out into orbit and let me just revolve around Jesus and life just gets better. Joy gets richer. Peace gets Greater. Are you, are you tracking? This is, this, is, this is what he wanted from the Colossians. This is what Paul's prayer was. That our lives would revolve around worship and adoration of Christ, our King of kings, not our daily lives and endeavors. In the New Testament uh, church after the apostolic age, this thing kind of came up called the Nicene Creed. It was the most universally accepted and recognized statement of the Christian faith. In other words, a bunch of believers got together and they said, hey, we need something universal to kind of speak back to people who say they don't believe in Jesus. And the Roman Emperor Constantine had convened the Council of Nicaea in an attempt to unify this Christian church with like one doctrine. And so he wanted to get to the core of like issues like the Trinity and deity and Jesus and I could go into this a lot more, and you'll be bored out of your mind, and that's okay. Because this is what the summary they brought to light. I love this. Can you say this? I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, 
God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, co-substantial with the Father, through Him all things were made. For us men and our salvation, He came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man for our sake. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death, was buried, rose again on the third day in accordance with the scripture. He ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And the believers screamed, Amen. So we pray. God, we are so sorry. placed you off of the throne of our lives and we have picked you up and we have put you on a shelf and in a closet God I'm so sorry As a church, we ask for your forgiveness that our lives here on this earth are more important than the earth that will come. God, I'm so concerned about what is transpiring in our community. And when things are outside of my control, I can pray and I can plead to you and I can tell you what's going on in my heart and you hear me. We thank you, God, that you hear us. And so, Lord, the, the prayer that I've had all week is the same prayer that I've been praying that you would throw off this stupid world and the things that trip me up and entangle me and that this world would revolve around you, and that you would be the center of my life. You would be the center of this church's life. And it would be unapologetic of the gospel that we have received. God, don't let anybody come to know you today and, and hide that truth. May they proclaim it with authority and excellence. May the people who have spouses that don't know you as Lord and Savior, may they, may they boldly share the gospel so that they would come to know you as well and families change and children's change. And we go to our workplaces tomorrow. May we sit down with people and then just ask them, have I ever told you about when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Would you give me just five minutes to tell you what God has done in my life? Lord, I don't know why I'm so worked up, but I am. And I just ask that you would help us be mindful of all of these characteristics of Christ. This week, that he would be on the center. He would be on the throne of our lives. Can you pray that with me? Okay, amen.
Yeah, we good? Thanks so much for letting me be your pastor. I love you guys so much. Bethany's going to read and, and sing. Um, let's stand together as, as we do that. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.